Welcome back to Are Your Parents Proud of You? I am your host, Matthew Schufreiter, and on today's episode, I speak with director and artist Dana Anderson. Dana is currently directing Ashton Rep's final production after 15 years, The Language Archive. It's a quirky comedic drama about communication, its potential, and its limits. This romantic parable for our times features a linguist at a loss for words, especially the vocabulary of the heart. I didn't write that. Unfortunately, that is uh, from the play. Uh, that's the description of the show. So, sorry, I am not as wordy as you thought I am. But I'm still really good at my job. Anyway, Dana is an educator, director, and actor based in Chicago. With Ashton Rep, she has worked on The Lones of West and 1984. Other projects have included working with Underscore, Rhino Fest, and Davenport's, Co Candy, The New Colony, Stage Door Fine Arts, and Chicago Dramatists. The list goes on and on and on. As you can tell, she is very talented. She's also currently the director teacher at Montessori School, Sherryville, and the program manager at Story Catchers Theater and the associate artistic director of Shakespeare Corrected. So, we talk a lot, as you may be aware. Don't believe me? Listen in. Hi, Dana. How are you? Hi. Thanks for having me. I'm good. How are you? Good. Thanks for doing this. So, I need to know, okay, so you are... Uh, company member for Ashton Rep, and you are directing the last show uh, for this company. Um, can you just briefly ask, t- tell us um, how why do they how did they approach you to direct their final show? Did you know this was going to be um, the last season, at least last season that they're going to be uh, producing? Yeah, so um, I've been a company member with Ashton Rep for the past, I think, five years, mm-hmm. um, and. Uh, we decided that the season would be our last final season, um, not out of any malice or anything like that. Just, um, you know, it's gotten more expensive to produce shows and um, all of us are eager to continue working on different creative projects, but maybe are not fully um, wanting to commit to creating an entire season every year. Uh, so yeah, we, we decided um, that this would be the last season. And then um, when they asked me to direct the last show, I was really, honored because this is a really special company. Um, and I think it's a really beautiful thing to be able to end on your own terms and to not kind of burn out into an explosion, you know? Right. So it wasn't, it, so you guys ended on your own terms. It wasn't because, you know, most theaters, they have struggled to come back since uh, theaters have reopened. Um, was when you guys came back, was that sort of just the beginning of the end or did you guys try to pump as much as many content as you can when the theaters were reopening. Yeah, we um we actually had to close. Um, we had to postpone one of our shows for I think two years. Um, so we finally got to produce it last season. Um, yeah, we we were we were dark just like every other company was for you know the dark times. Um, we were still creating things on Zoom, um, just to to create things and and to still um you know, generate content, things like that. But I don't think that we've ever been just, okay, we have to keep going, you have to keep going. I think we're a company that's very intentional about what we want to work on and what we want to put out into the world. So um, yeah, it feels really special that, um, you know, we get to end on our own terms. Yeah, that's great. And how did, when they approached you, um, was, was it about the material that stood out for you? Or, the, or did you know even about the work? Um, when it was yeah. The- so they they actually asked me um, what I wanted to produce, 
And um, I've, I've had a couple of ideas. So um, every year we had this writer series, this continued even through the pandemic, and it would be just readings that we would produce of new plays. Right. Um, and I directed a couple of readings over the years of plays that I really want to see to come to life. Um, and so I had some ideas from there. I had some ideas that were sitting around in a drive folder and I just kind of read through a bunch and uh, we already had three company members that we knew we wanted to act in our last show. So that really informed what we produced. But this play in particular really stood out to me because it's just so joyful and there are very sad moments in it, but it, it just has this buoyancy that is like, it refuses to be beat down. And I think that uh, ultimately this is a love letter to the company um, for us yeah. to end on. I was just about to ask, does this feel like everything that that's the show, about the show that says something about the company it was feel when I'm, when I'm hearing is this is a swan song essentially oh, for sure yeah for everything that Ashton Rupp has done over the last 15 years where do you think it stands out I mean this is you know a opinionated question but what do you think Ashton Rupp stands out between the other Chicago theaters how did how does it stand out between the the rest yeah uh so we stand out in that um we are a company that that uses all of our ensemble members in many different ways. Um, I've had the pleasure of acting in performances, directing shows, assistant directing shows, dramaturging. Like this is a company that will let you work, you know, in whatever way that you want to and explore your many different creative sides. Uh, we all get along really well. Uh, <laughs> it's like one of the big reasons why we're a company. Companies. Yeah. Um, but in terms of the work, um, we're actually really known for doing dark shows. Yeah. Um, so like Equus, a lot of Sam Shepard. Uh, the last show that I directed with them was a Martin McDonough piece. So um, this is definitely a departure in that regard. Um, but I think our our plays really just want to explore all of the edges of what it is to be human. Mm -hmm. For sure. Well, speaking of human, I want to know more about Dana, the art artist. Uh, so you grew up in Normal, Illinois. What were you like as a child? Uh, I was very shy. I was I was painfully shy. Um, so when I was in middle school is when I started to get into theater. Um, and I never knew what to say. Like, I never felt like I knew, like, what to say to other people. And everyone just kind of thought I was weird. So uh, when I auditioned for my first play, um, I remember getting lines and being like, oh my gosh, now I know what to say. Cause like it's scripted for me. Right. <laughs> and that made me feel like normal for like probably the first time ever. Um, and then there was no going back from there. What was the first play? It was Oliver Twist. Uh, not the musical. It was no. like a very like painful, clunky, like adaptation of the, of the Dickens book. Uh, <laughs> and I played Nancy. Great. And uh, I remember uh, one of the really popular eighth grade boys um, was was playing my like romantic opposite. And I was in seventh grade. So I felt very cool. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I It was like definitely like a big social boost. Yeah. <laughs> Brad, uh, everyone, guess who I'm seeing every day after the, after school. Mm -hmm, exactly. Yeah. Uh, were you when you say child or, or were you someone who once you're on stage, you sort of just came out and then you know, performing and the complete opposite of who you were as a person? I think I was always a dramatic kid, but I wasn't always willing to show it. You know what I mean? So like, yeah. 
I think have it, it was the first time where having attention felt like a positive thing rather than, oh my God, like everyone's looking at me. What do I do? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Were you were you like a good public speaker? Could you go up and do a project and like work for oh, for sure? I was the goody two shoes, like group project. I was doing all of the work. Yeah. I was that kid. <laughs> what did you parent were your parents involved in the arts at all? Um, not really, actually. Uh my mom played piano growing up, but um I think they were really shocked when I wanted to study theater and I was also like a total choir kid. Um, so I think that they had a lot of anxiety around this because it was something that they didn't really know. Um, and they, they thought, you know, how is she going to make a living doing this? As all parents do. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Did you have siblings? No, I'm an only child. See, I, I see if you, I want to hear goody two shoes. I think like the one sibling, like my sister's a goody two shoes of the family. Uh, Are you like the rebel? I, I'm the experiment child, okay? It's pretty much whatever he did, don't do. You know, went to, went to art school, majored in the arts, yes. and, and going from job to job. So don't do what I do is what my parents told the th- my three other siblings. And they have, oh been, they have been doing just fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, it seems like you have been too, you know? You know, that's debatable. And <laughs> <laughs> so you went to Milliken uh, for performing. Did you go there for performing at first, right? Yeah. So um, when it came time to look at colleges, I I only visited four campuses and then I applied to two schools. And then I went to Milliken because it was the one that wasn't in normal. And I wanted to like. Was the other one out. ISU, Illinois State University? It was actually Wesleyan. Oh, the other one. Even smaller. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I'm really happy that I went there. Um, it was just, it was a really great place to kind of grow into my own. But yeah, I did start out as a performance major. I was musical theater. And then um, after my sophomore year, the faculty was like, we're worried about you as a performer. We don't think you're going to like cut it in the real world. And so like most programs have some sort of cut. Maybe they don't do that anymore. but at the time they did. Um, And ours was called a redirection. So you're redirected into a different major. Um, They thought you weren't good enough to perform or like, what do they mean? Like they don't, they don't think you're going to make the cut. Right. Well, part of it was logistics. Our Millican was, is still like this very like unique school in that the day you audition is the day you figure out if you get into their program. Huh. Like they hold you later and they tell you, okay, like you're in this program or like you could study, you could be in these majors and they tell you which ones that you can be in. And so as a result, they don't know how many people are going to end up going and being in the class. So my musical theater class was giant. It was like the biggest class they'd had in years. Um, and we were getting to a point where, um, you know, the, the classes were getting it's like they wanted smaller class sizes um for like scene work and things like that um and I don't think like that was the only reason that I was cut like I definitely think that I was going through some things you know sophomore year where um for whatever reason things were not coming together right um, and even though it was really painful at the time it was actually like the best thing that could have happened to me because that's how I got into my actual career mm-hmm. um which I love, you know, um, I get, I started teaching, I started directing more shows. I started, um, working in prisons and like doing all kinds of social justice work with theater. So 
like I would never have experienced that if I had stayed as a BFA um, and just focused on performing. Right. Yeah, because you're you're a teaching artist, which is uh, for some people don't know what that is. Um, you know, it's it's not a teacher. Essentially, you're a guest artist, essentially. Correct. Well, I have actually a unique path. So I am still a teaching artist, okay. um, which is a, a kind of guest role or, you know, you teach with a theater and you go to different schools or, you, you know, teach wherever they are. Um, I actually am a full time drama teacher at a school. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where I am right now. I was going to say, looking at you right now, this is the best (laughs) workshop. Like if you want to look at the word, like look at the word artist, it's that background right there. Totally. Totally. Um, yeah. So if if you can't see where I am, um, I'm literally surrounded by props and wig heads and papers. Um, so I teach kindergarten through eighth grade drama at a Montessori school. Hmm. And, um, I've been here for seven years and it's really lovely. Um, get to shape young minds and expose them to theater. And we do so much more stuff, you know, around, you really think about what all the soft skills that you can get from theater are. Right. And Montessori is just a unique school, a teaching system of itself too. Mm-hmm. Um, was it, did you know much about it when you, when you brought in there? I knew nothing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, so like there, there's a lot of like things that you don't always that are not intuitive to you when you first come into a room full of children, right? Um, one is that, and this is probably the biggest thing that's just kind of shaped my brain over the years, is that uh, you don't tell them what not to do. You tell them yeah. what to do. So when you're giving any sort of directions, it's not stop running, it's make sure you're using walking feet. Yeah. Instead of, you know, so like giving them what to do rather than what not to do. But did that take a while? Because, you know, we are, I mean, most kids growing up are in that typical school system in, in style. Um, was that a weird adjustment for you to just start that first year to not to sort of do that? It was challenging. Yeah. Uh, having having taught in more traditional classrooms before that, I was like, oh, yeah, like this makes total sense. And I made like a huge push to to like rewire my brain and do all of that. I think it's like it's like anything that you learn new when you're an adult like it's a little harder because you're you've been hardwired for so many years to think a certain way um but like when you really believe and understand the reasoning behind it then you're more active in making that switch how old were the kids your first class do you remember uh yeah my first I used to teach just fourth fifth and sixth grade okay Um, so it wasn't the young ones at first it was not no because you're talking about my first ever class yeah Oh, okay. My first ever class that I taught was uh, probably three and four-year-old ballet. Oh, you are a soldier. <laughs> I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> um, and it was for the Parks District um, in my college town at the time. And I had interned there over the summer and and the person who ran the program for some reason like trusted me. <laughs> and she let me teach these little itty bitties just like the very basics of movement um and they were so cute they were so cute um but yeah I had I had no idea what I was doing they were so little (laughs) do you do you know what you're doing now or is it still just every day a big what are we doing what are we doing what are we doing you know as I've gotten more into this I feel like I I do have a pretty good sense of what I'm doing but every so often something will happen and I'll just like leave the room and be like I have no idea what this is, you know, I'll just leave with a giant question mark. 
Yeah. <laughs> Love that. So you can, were you a teacher, teacher first or were you a teaching artist um, at first? Yeah, I started as a teaching artist. Okay. Um, and I still teach with some of the same companies that I was with at the very beginning when I moved here. Yeah. So, right. If you had to put, put yourself in like, in one, if you had to describe you, you know, actor, performer, director, teacher, how would you define yourself? Are you, or are you, are you just an artist in general? Uh, well, my, my taxes, I'm a theater artist. Theater artist. <laughs> but um, I think if I were describing myself to someone, like, I'm a very hyphenated individual. I do a lot of different things. Yeah. Um, but if I had to, like, nail it down, I'd be like, I'm a theater educator. Yeah. Because I think that that's the umbrella term. <laughs> Are you still shy now? No, not no. at all. So what shed it then? Was it just the, the multiple times you had to speak out and to speak up in front of people? Yeah, I think so. I think I was just an extrovert waiting for a reason to like, you know, step out into the limelight, I think. Um, I've always been someone who's very rule obsessed. Like mm -hmm. if you if you got if you give me rules, I will follow them. Yeah. Um, and I think that in doing that, I sometimes limited myself from like expressing myself or advocating for myself. Um, and so as I've gotten older and gotten into adulthood, I'm more I'm more um skeptical of the rules and I'm thinking about well why do I need to follow this rule is this something that I've set for myself that's limiting me unnecessarily or is this something that um actually is going to help me move forward and progress as a human mm -hmm. for sure so when you left Milliken what was the plan after that did you want to was it just uh so you figure out well if I can't perform uh, yeah. I'm going to do I'm going to direct or I'm going to teach or do or are you really trying to think to yourself, well, I can maybe I should still act. They just don't know what they're talking about. A little bit of all of those. <laughs> <laughs> it's a sorting hat. Okay. Yeah. When I left school, um, the day I graduated was the day I started my first professional acting gig. Which was? Uh, Shawnee Summer Theater. It was okay. summer stock in Indiana. And uh, so, yeah, I, I graduated. I went back to the house, I packed up my car, and then I drove to Indiana and started my contract that night. Um, and so, like, here's the thing, like, even if your professors are telling you, we don't think that this is something you should pursue professionally, it doesn't mean that they're right. It's a group of people who have an opinion about you in an extremely subjective field. Right. Um, and, and we tell all of the kids coming up in, in the ranks and going through the same process that I went through, like, just because we're saying this now does not mean it will never happen. And I know so many friends from college who ended up not graduating as performance majors that are still performing to this day. And I think that that kind of rejection actually sets you up for success going forward because we need to be able to fail and accept that failure. We need to be able to learn how to move through rejection and feel through those really negative feelings um, in order to really progress. And yeah. in order to come back for more. <laughs> right. I so, mean, yeah. As much as, I, much as I love the friends who have been booked ever since college, through college. Right. When it, eventually everyone's going to fall on their face. Um, yeah. So better now than later in life where you don't. Yeah. 
And I feel like college is the ultimate place to feel that. It's like, if you're always getting yeses in college, that means that the same thing as before, a select group of people have a very specific opinion about you. It doesn't mean that everyone's going to have that opinion about you. Um, and a lot of kids, when they first get out of college, are not used to hearing the word no and get discouraged out of performing. Yeah. Um, I will say, like, as much as I enjoyed performing back then, I really fell out of love with it after a couple of years of doing it professionally. Um, I would just get so trapped in my own head and I'd be like, oh, I'm terrible at this. And it was just, it was always such a mental slog to just get through. Yeah, but you don't feel that when you're directing or teaching. I mean, I used to teach and I still think to myself like, I don't know what's going on right now or this is not working at all. Uh, And uh, I feel, I, I was actually in my head more than teaching than probably acting, I don't know. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I think um, because I don't feel like the eyes are on me, I feel like the I always place the experience on the people that I'm working with. Um, I'm a little less self-conscious. Mm. Um, yeah, I, that's, that's <laughs> such a strange way to, oh, to say no, it. Like, yeah, I feel like um, and the more and more I do it, the more I'm like, actually, like, no, none of me is attached to your success. I'm, I'm just like, none of my own ego is attached to your success. I'm only here to offer you a path forward and to like, see what works for you. Um, right. So, I, was, I don't know. Yeah. I, cause again, I, I taught preschool. So oh my I, God. I, yeah. <laughs> so maybe that, maybe that's why I was in my, in my head more because I was literally the way I was, they were, they were starting their lives in my house essentially yeah. and i had to figure out like all right this is what they need to to go from here also these kids were pre covid babies uh so yeah. like they had 2 years away from civilization some of them were just only child childs uh and so now i picked the best time which was the fall after everything was locked down and they're in a room of 12 different kids and trying to figure out um yeah, so there's a lot of what's going on. I don't know what I'm doing. And they don't some- either. They're three. Yeah. And there's someone <laughs> crying in the corner, you know? Yes. So a lot of that. Uh, anyway, what did you want to direct? Oh, um, a lot of different things. It it felt like it felt like a really interesting way to say something, like a really meaningful way to say something, because it's pulling a group of people together. Um, to all get on this same unified page of like, what story are we telling? Right. Um, and I love to create that atmosphere of play. Um, yeah. And I just, I, I love, I love working with actors. I don't necessarily like acting with, with, with actors, you know? <laughs> love that. What was the first show you directed? Was it in college or was it out? Yeah. The very first show I directed was... Uh, it was my senior year of college. Um, it was called On Stars Not Falling. Okay. And it was a piece that was written by, I believe, a high school teacher. Um, mm-hmm. And it was all about this group of friends on a rooftop um, of a Chicago two flat. And they were just like dealing with all of these different friendship issues. And like something really bad had happened in the past where like some of them weren't talking to one of the people. And then that person showed up. And it was um, it was a really sweet piece. Um, and it was my first time really getting to like, I guess, guide actors on a path forward, you know, like it just, it felt like 
just a lot of fun. I just looked forward to going to rehearsal every day. Um, actually, you know what? I did direct a show before that. Oh, you um, lied. Uh, yes, but it wasn't <laughs> a traditional play. It was um, a direct Taming of the Shrew. Oh. In um in Decatur Correctional Center okay. with all women. Mm-hmm. And um that was really cool. I think that that's kind of what lit up like, oh, I actually might be good at this kind of thing. How did you get involved in doing that? Um well, one of my professors uh was running this program and he asked me to step in and assist him on a show. Um and so I I would go in each day and just kind of offer up what I knew about Shakespeare and and coach people in their monologues. And then I started to think about like how impactful theater can be on people who haven't necessarily had a lot of experience with it um, or who have had very different life experiences than me. Um, Like you just see, you see people communicating in a different way, a way more effective and and on a deeper level. Um, You see people acknowledging their emotions and really processing their emotions through their characters. Um, And then of course, their kids getting to come see them perform right it's just like a whole nother level of of you know profundity um then it 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 made me feel like oh like this thing that i've chosen that can often feel so self-indulgent is actually like world changing i can change the world with this stuff like this is really exciting right yeah one part one little smart one little tiny part at a time now yeah yeah uh so how have your parents have felt about your career we're going back to them yeah uh, for sure uh since you said you want to get involved in the arts how do they feel about your career yeah they um they initially really wanted me to go into like science they were like well theater can just be your like fallback thing right you can do for fun on the side um and I was like no it I this is what I want to do mm-hmm. um and I think it's it's actually really lovely that they decided to support me anyway even though like we definitely had a lot of fights about it um I don't think that they saw it for me either until uh actually right after college they went and saw me in the summer stock shows and one of my I I don't remember if it was my mom or my dad but they were like oh like you were born for this and I was like yeah I know (laughs) thanks for realizing how amazing that like you're still supporting me blindly even though you don't see what I see that's like that's really incredible um and then when I started doing prison work they they definitely expressed some concerns like they were like are you safe like yeah like we we don't know um and it wasn't out of anything it was just like a lack of knowledge yeah so they ended up getting to see um the taming of the shrew and they were just like we can't believe that like this is what you're doing right now but like they're totally into it. That's so cool. Yeah. Uh, I do want to bring up, uh, go back to the prison work real quick. Uh, sure. So how long, how, how long have you been doing that? Uh, well, the Shakespeare program has been going now, I believe, 10 years. Um, we've been, all of the prison work has been very negatively impacted by COVID. Right. So we just got in this year to to do a, a show for the first time in three years. Um, and that'll be happening next weekend. I'm not super involved with the operations of that, but um, I do keep up with the alumni of the program. A lot of them moved to Chicago after they're released. And so um, 
got a lot of buddies up here and try to support them in whatever way I can. Um, and then for the past four years, I've been working up here uh, for a company called Storycatchers. Mm-hmm. And uh, we work with youth or young people who are system impacted. Um, so I work in the detention center and uh, work with young people who are currently going through adjudication on their cases. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just a, it's a very different look at our city. Yeah. If, has it felt that in, um, like story catchers theater, does it feel like it needs to be, we need, it needs it now more than ever before? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think you, you kind of touched on it earlier with the preschool COVID babies, like mm-hmm. none of the kids are okay right now. No. At all. Um, and this is the first year that I'm starting to see any of them go back to any sense of normal. No. You know what I mean? Like it took three years for them to really be like, oh, I think things are going to be okay. You know, I don't need to lose my mind right now. And, and like, we still have a lot of that going on. Um, and it's no different for the kids who are in detention right now. Um, they are suffering from lack of opportunity. Um, that has been sometimes intentionally denied, um, Mm -hmm. and sometimes unintentionally denied. Um, so it's, yeah, it's, it's really hard to, to see them and, and realize that the actual impact that we can have on their lives is limited because of how much we can actually see them and work with them. Um, but yeah, it, it's definitely, it's always been important, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So we have some time left. We are going to play a game called time for two. And this is two minutes on the clock, and this is two minutes of random icebreaker questions. There is no right, there is no wrong. I am just curious to see what your opinion is. Lovely. All right, yeah, it'll be great. Here we go. You ready? Mm -hmm. Three, two, one, go. Typical bedtime. Mm, uh, Midnight. What is in your fridge right now? Uh, A two-week-old enchilada. Fork, spoon, or knife? Fork. AC or DC? AC. What's the greatest advice you've given an actor as a director? Oh, shoot. Um, God. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> That's a great. No, I like, I like God. That's a great answer. <laughs> uh, uh, typically, the best part of waking up is? Mm, saying hello to the dog. Uh, t- would you rather live at a zoo or an amusement park? Mm, an amusement park. Is there a lie that George Santos has said about you? Yeah, probably. And what is that lie? <laughs> uh, that we did drag together in the Chicago scene. Lovely. <laughs> is there a role you wish you've gotten? Um, I've always secretly wanted to play Bobby from Company. Great. Uh, favorite genre? Oh, uh, I like a good rom-com. Nice. What is the greatest line in cinema? I just went to Frankly, my dear, but I don't actually agree with that. Make them laugh. Make them laugh. There you go. Love it. Uh, who is the greatest game show host of all time? Alex Trebek. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, do you put ketchup on your hot dogs? No. Is it DJ? Is it DJ just someone who's good at iTunes? 
No, so they have to, there's a lot more involved. Yeah. Yeah. Toilet paper, over or under? Over. Brendan or Brandon? Brandon. Favorite kind of cheese? Oh, uh, Gruyere. And that's how we play time for two. Amazing. Uh, right? That, <laughs> that gets your brain going, right? It does. It does. Yeah. Lovely. Lovely. Uh, Dana, before we go, my last question to you is, uh, are your parents proud of you? I think they are. Agree. Yeah. Wonderful. Dana, thank you so much for spending some time for me this morning. I had a lovely time uh, meeting you and, and chatting with you. It was lovely. Yeah, you too. Thanks so much. Hey, did you like that conversation and you want to hear more? Well, first of all, go see the show. Go see the Language Archive. It's playing April 28th through May 28th, Thursdays, Fridays, and Saturdays at 7.30, and Sundays at 3 p.m. It's playing at the Edge Off-Broadway Theater in Chicago. For more information, go to ashtonrep.com slash language. All right, now you might be wondering, it's the season finale of Are Your Parents Proud of You? The season five finale. Can you believe it? I can, because uh, uh, we, we've been doing this show for a long time. However... It's not coming out next week. Uh, uh, Jenna and myself have been working on uh, potential guests uh, for this finale. And then we are also coordinating schedules as well to get us in the room to uh, look back at season five. It's been a big season uh, with all great guests and more. Uh, so we are working on that. Uh, so stay tuned as well. So look for that episode. I don't want to give a date. You know, but uh, you know what I want to give you? <laughs> I want to give you some plugs like Facebook, like us on Facebook, Instagram, at Parents Proud Podcast, and finally, the damn email. Like, I'll, hold on one second. I'm going to go check. Hold on. We're going to keep recording this, by the way. Look at that. No email. I think it's time we do some emailing. Podcast at gmail.com. All right, folks. Also, wait, hold on. Hold the phone. Let's give a special shout out to the editor of the show, Jenna McCorgill. It's her birthday by the time this episode gets released. So happy birthday, Jenna. Much love and thank you for everything you do. Obviously, I'm going to see you in person. Uh, uh, so uh, this is a small token versus the big gift, which will just be uh, me at your birthday party. Um, anyway, that's enough love. Too much love. Thank you, folks, for listening, and I'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.